it has been an interesting couple of weeks, to say the least, compelled to share a passage of Scripture kind of as a result of the, the magnitude of, of Jesus' preparation for all that was happening in front of him and the magnitude of what he would go through. He leans in and he teaches his disciples some things. So kind of at the end of a, of a talk he's having with them concerning a matter and launching into a prayer, which we won't cover today. But if you want to find in your Bibles John chapter 16 with me. John chapter 16, and we'll begin at verse number 25. When you find John chapter 16, verse number 25, if you would stand in honor of God's word. John chapter 16, verse number 25. The scripture reads this way. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture, we are oftentimes reminded that your constant and ever-watchful eye is upon what is coming, seeing the the very nature of all of history and all of the future, all hinged on one powerful moment, your suffering, your sacrifice, your death, your burial, your resurrection, that everything is wedded to it. I pray that as we come to this passage of Scripture that we will see that in our hearts and in our minds that these can be reconciled in belief in you in such a way that our lives can be forever changed. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's interesting, and, and so just in case you're, you're wondering, oftentimes when students are preparing for the purpose of becoming pastors and they go to school for the matter, that you have to go through any number of rigorous courses. And as a result, sometimes you have to get, you know, into a course or a, a class that, that maybe you're, you're not real, real in love with. And I don't know anybody here that ever went to school and thought to themselves, man, I love every single minute of everything I've ever learned. Some of you are like, man, I couldn't wait to get out of school. I was so glad that it was over. I'm grateful that I don't have to go back, right? And the thought of having to do any more schooling for most of you is like, no, thank you. But for those of us that love learning, we're just gluttons for punishment. We will just keep taking classes. I remember being in a class, in a lecture class, and um, opportunity to, to practice the... The, all the measure of preaching. Now, I, I'll tell you this, and, and I'm taking, you know, 
some of my armor off here, so please don't stab me with this later. Sometimes when a pastor makes a confession in front of an audience, they will hit him with it over and over and over again. I could tell you stories, but I won't. I was in a preaching class, and I took fair criticism from my professor because of what Jesus is talking about right here. Oftentimes when I get up and I approach God's word, I just want to share God's word in such a way that, that you hear God's word. And his criticism was, Mr. Taylor, he did not call me Brother Taylor, by the way. He said, Mr. Taylor, you didn't use enough illustration, son. And I thought it was interesting that he called us son because we were all, you know, relatively adults in college by this point. At least we thought we were. And I remember at the moment, and then, and then it's interesting because as soon as the professor begins to lean in to give you criticism, then the classmates will then pile on. You ever been there? When I got to seminary, the preaching labs were pretty dangerous. I'm coming back to the first illustration here, but we made an agreement in my preaching lab when I was in seminary that we would be kind to each other and we would be gracious because we heard some of the other ones. Some people got, got really amped up and got really excited, and some of them wanted to get that coveted spot and be invited by the end of the semester to be able to preach at the, the la one of the last you know, chapels of, of, of the, the year, and this was always an honor given to one of the preaching students. And so people were aiming at this, and they were focusing their craft, and they're really working hard at making sure they, they curate their messages. And so when it come time to critique, and you had to listen to the critiques, and everybody got to fill out a form on every sermon you preached, about every third class. And man, and they were brutal sometimes. And they were honest. And it was, we need those kinds of criticisms, right? When I went back and when I was in college and my professor told me that I didn't use enough illustration, then a number of the other people were like, and you kind of seemed angry. And I'll never forget it because there was a turning point in the moment where one of the guys that was a little bit older who had been called to life you know, from life to life in ministry. He went from being a foreman in a, in a career as a blue-collar guy, having been, you know, over many men. He says, now, nah, guys, I don't, I don't know where you're going to preach at or what you're going to do, but I'm listening to my brother, and he just sounds like a man talking to men. And he says, and some of the men in the world need to hear some of these words from another man. You guys are worried about softening it up and polishing it up and making it real comfortable. Jesus is talking about, he's like, I've been teaching you in these simple lessons, these figurative stories, these parables, so that you'll hold on to it. Early learners grab onto the lessons. But if you are still in a place in your life where you're counting on the parable to draw you in, man, I'm asking you to dig a little deeper because Jesus forecasts here, he says, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And he says, there's coming a time where I've got to just tell you the matter. Because there are moments in Scripture where he gives these beautiful, elaborate parables and teaches us these great stories, and we hold on to it. Most of you will remember, over the course of my time preaching from this stage, you will remember the funny story, the anecdotal piece, the illustration. You'll remember that all day long. You'll remember my story about me being in class and being criticized by some of my peers and my professor. And you'll forget the scriptures altogether. And Jesus is like, the time is coming when you need to hear my words about my father. And he begins to lean in. And he's like, you don't understand how serious it is. Because he's foreshadowing what's coming. 
And he's talking about his death. And he's leaning in. And he's like, I'm going to have to start talking to you like men. Like grown-ups. And as a result, what's coming after that will be hard. Well, verse 26, he goes on to say, In that day, well, and, and if, you're, if you're keeping notes today, I, I want you to see point number one. Before I get into verse 26, it says, a time is coming for plain talk, right? So you're welcome to write that down. I want you to think about this picture here. And I hope that you'll see it with me. Sometimes we have a relationship with Jesus where we are excited about him rescuing us from our sins. We are excited about him reaching in and changing the course of our future so that we don't go to hell, but we're not real excited about him being in charge of every aspect of our life and having to give certain things away, having to sacrifice or having to be in a harder spot or having to do a little bit less so that we can accomplish more for his name. We don't like that part very much. But there comes a moment where you're like, okay, grown-up talk. And he gets to this part, verse 26, where he says, and that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. And he's giving a clear picture that he's like the paradigm is shifting. Up until now, all the Hebrew people have been praying to God. And he's like, but there's coming a time when you'll ask in my name. You'll ask of me. And you see this transition of authority that, that is happening where Jesus is becoming. He's becoming the center and focal point of all of this story in such a way that when people see him, they will know. You see, when we cry out to salvation and we ask, it says that we should call upon Jesus, because there's no other name under heaven by which you shall be saved. It doesn't say that the random gods of the world will save you, that the many gods and the, the pantheon of beliefs in the world are the same. It says that there is one Savior. And Jesus is making a clear distinction. He's like, look, I've been teaching you in, in stories. Now I'm teaching you in truths that are so much more powerful. And we get to this moment. We get to this turning point. Verse 27 lays it out. For the Father himself loved, loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. You know, it's amazing to me the number of times that I have heard dialogues or stories and, and people will tell me all the time stuff about their belief and their criticism of this book. And it's actually quite, quite ironic, you know. I think it's dramatic irony when somebody criticizes this book because I believe this book is the moral centerpiece of all of mankind's hope, that there is no other teaching that is superior to it, and there never will be. And people will say things to me, they're like, man, I love Jesus. I'm not so sure about Paul. And I'm always like, this is the Bible. I had a professor one time said, we believe it from Genesis to maps. Now, if you're not following along, some of you have a copy of a Bible that has some maps in the background. The maps aren't scripture, by the way. But he's like, we hold every word. Every word is valuable. There are no throw, throwaways. There are no pieces of it that we discard. There are no parts of it that we step over. This is the whole compliment. We believe all of it. And the picture here, the hard part for us is that oftentimes we become dismissive and we forget that it's Jesus coming to, to, the, to the right center of the stage and being the, the savior of the world. And they will criticize it. And they'll tell me things about the Bible. And they'll say, well, I'm not so sure about this. 
And I will tell them, you are welcome to take your complaint direct to the head office. I work for them. I didn't write the book. We follow the instructions because he gave them to us. Not because, I mean, you don't have to like it. This is what it says. But there's this beautiful piece here. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed. You see, belief is at the center of everything that you're going to know and do. I always tell people that oftentimes people will say that they did something they shouldn't have done, and I always say, well, if they believed it was wrong, they probably wouldn't have done it. We oftentimes don't betray ourselves this way. We, we, we will justify a thing and say, well, we know we shouldn't do that, but we're doing it anyway. And oftentimes I'm like, if you really believed you shouldn't, you wouldn't. Somewhere there's a flexibility in you that says that you justified it and it's okay. And Jesus is telling them that he's like, God loves you because you have believed in me. Belief in Jesus is essential. It goes on to say, and that he came forth from God. The travel language that's all throughout the Gospel of John is powerful. You see it presented from the beginning of the gospel to the end. There's travel language talking about that he's come from heaven, he's going to the cross, and he's going back to heaven. The language is present everywhere. It is absolutely profound. When you understand that this is Jesus' whole reason, that he came from heaven, he's headed to the cross, and he's going back to heaven, and you understand that about him, then you'll begin to see more clearly what he's trying to accomplish. You will then have an opportunity to accept and believe or reject it and deny him. But you will not be able to, when you see the picture, be comfortably okay to just think this is another teaching. You will have to make a choice. That's hard medicine. You see, point number two in your bulletin, your outline, is, is that Jesus' plan was always to go back to heaven. One of the things that I love about the scriptures, it talks about this travel language all throughout the gospel according to John. We see this picture of Jesus he knows where he's going. It's not haphazard. He understands the magnitude of what he's come to do for you and for me. He understands the cost. He knows what you're guilty of. He's taken the full measurement of its payment. He understands it. He knew he had to come to pay the bill. He gets the opportunity to teach and to preach while he's here. His followers begin to believe in him this love of God is, is manifested in their midst and he's going back to heaven. Verse 28, it says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Man, I don't know about you, but I hear this kind of language and Jesus has invited us to come and be a part of this eternity with him forever and I realize that this travel language is a roadmap for you and for me. It is the, the, the key instruction for us to understand what is the meaning of life? To know God Almighty, to believe his son, to embrace his sacrifice, to accept his, his death, burial, and resurrection in place of our sin, the payment for it, which was due. The, the meaning of life is to make this journey to heaven and to take as many people with us as we can. I have these grand dreams of heaven, these glorious moments when I look there and I realize the magnitude of heaven which is in front of me and I say to myself every time we get an opportunity to share about Jesus and somebody accepts, 
at the banquet table in front of the Father, one more place setting. There'll be a place for every single person who believes. And every time somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus, one more place setting. One more place setting. And another, and another. There's this really cool thing that happens. The, the pregnancy center that we supported in Texas, on their Facebook page, they won't give you personal information. They don't want to betray people in this way. But every time somebody prays to receive Jesus at their center, they'll put a simple Facebook post up that gives a scripture verse, and it's just a, a code and then the, the verse reference. They don't tell us the scripture. We know the scripture, but, but it's an indication that somebody has accepted Jesus. Somebody who's in a low point or in a crisis in their life has come there looking for some direction or hope, and as a result, they give them the gospel, and when they make a decision, they just broadcast that it's happened. And so I'll be just scrolling through Facebook sometimes in the most mundane or random time of the day, and I'll see it, and I'll be like, praise God. Praise God, another, another place setting at the table. Another person to join us in heaven. Jesus' language where he's like, I'm going back there. Do you want to go with him? I do. I already said I wanted to go. He stamped a reservation for me. When I get there, there'll be a seat. We see the picture here. His disciples said to him, see, now you speak, speaking plainly and using no figurative speech, Verse 30, now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. What a testimony. I believe we are not unlike the disciples in this regard. We are looking at Jesus and we're saying, we believe what you teach. We have read it. We have studied it. We come. We have a special hour before church. We have an hour of worship. We sometimes come back on Sunday nights. We sometimes come on Wednesdays. We devote our personal time when we're at home or other times in prayer and in Scripture. We, we say that we have believed this book. We are like the disciples. Man, I, I would like to say that that meant that we would be perfectly brave in the midst of the crises in the world around us. But Jesus makes a very clear point to say something next that will give us a little bit of forecast of what we can expect. If these individuals who followed Jesus, who were this close to him and heard his teaching and saw his miracles, if he describes what's going to happen next to them, we should be weary of the possibility of our, of our scattering that's coming. We look to it. What's it say? Verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? And that question mark just hangs there. Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And I think to myself, man, if I am just like the apostles and I, and I, I can hear Peter in the background saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, 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 no. We are never going to betray you. We're never going to leave. We're never going to be scattered. We're always going to follow you. We're always going to do what's morally right. We're always going to be there. And the first sign of trouble, we, and we're gone. The moments in our life that are hard, that are pulling at us, that are straining us, that are damaging us, that are, that are challenging our beliefs, we believe, but man, this has been hard. So what now? I mean, he asked that question, do you believe? What I love about this picture is that Jesus is all alone in this moment. At least that's how it's portrayed. He says, you know, you're going to scatter me and leave me alone. And at this moment, when we look to, to the disciples, the most devout men that we have ever encountered, who would go on to do amazing things in Jesus' name, the, their history is so powerful that there is traditional teachings on what happened to each and every one of them. 
that we have recorded what happens to them as they carry out his plan for their life. And it, just in case you're doing a little calculation, know this, the gospel that is preached today in this church has been preserved from the teaching of these individuals who followed Jesus. If you really want to see the chain of custody all the way back in faith, you have to trace it all the way back to this man who's teaching these men. And there's a legacy, a family tree that goes all the way back. There is no other source of it. It is Jesus. And yet he's all alone in this moment. At least that's what it looks like to the disciples. But I want to let you in on something that I think is the most, one of the most important truths that we see in all of Scripture. Jesus doesn't need you to win. He doesn't need your devotion. He doesn't need your allegiance. He doesn't need your attendance to win. He doesn't need it in order to overcome all the sin of the world. We want so desperately to think that we have to be the missing element, that if we don't come, that it all fall apart. But that is not the story here. The story is as soon as trouble hits, they're going to scatter. You're going to run away. But read it with me. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Number three in your bulletin, we should expect the enemy to scatter Jesus' followers. That should be an expected thing. He puts trouble in your pathway on purpose so that you will be knocked off course, so that you will be completely derailed. He does it systematically and regularly. Don't think he doesn't have a plan. The question is, is do you really believe? I mean, rewind it. That's what Jesus said in that red question mark that's on my page that's just hanging out there forever. Well, prove it. Keep following Jesus when things get hard. We should expect that the plan would be to divide us, to scatter us, to give us reasons to disagree, to push us into corners away from each other, because he knows that when we are separated, that we are weak, and that we are more likely to succumb to temptation and do the things we shouldn't do. And as a result, he knows that when we're together, we're held accountable that we look to each other, we're encouraged, we're lifted up, we're carried when we're weak, and we're a whole lot less likely to give in to temptation. That's why it's so powerful that he says, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. You might be in a situation in your life where you have systematically isolated yourself, and you might be watching today on the internet because the, the world has, has put you in a spot where you feel scared of the outside, and as a result, you are alone and you are counting on a digital interface to put you in a situation where you feel like you have some companionship. But let me help you with something. Nothing replaces the real interactions with real people. We were not meant to live alone. We were not meant to be isolated. I, I tell this story frequently. A friend of mine, we're at South Padre Island, and I talk about this trip a lot. It's foundational in my, in my mission going and doing. There's a moment by which one of the guys that I, a peer of mine, he was a great friend. I'm just, just a barely old enough as an adult to be called a team leader. It was a tremendous honor, by the way, because I, out of the blue, I was asked to come and help lead this team. I was still a student, by the way, which was, I count as to be a, a tremendous, tremendous honor. And we're there, and we're witnessing the college students on the beach. It's about this time of year. Springtime is coming. Spring break is upon us. South Padre is one of the hot spots. 
And there are literally tens of thousands of just college students just pounding alcohol and just destroying every bit of their brain with debauchery from, uh, from, from corner to corner, from, from one end to the other end. And we saw God do some really crazy, amazing things in that time. But one of the things I ha- that happened was one of my team members, a peer, just a peer of mine, he was a same year student as me, he's on the trip, and we're done with worship that evening at the church, and we are singing our hearts out. Because we need God to be in our midst, because we feel very much the minority. And he is bawling. And I send the team out. I said, hey, I'm going to hang back. and I'm going to talk with him. I'm gonna, you guys hang out here. I'm going to go back and check on him. And I sit down next to him, and I said, I said, what's going on, man? He's like, I'm sitting here, man, and I'm thinking about the day we've had, and I'm looking out at the crowd, and I realize how much lostness there is in the world, and I'm realizing what I'm thinking and what I'm, what I'm saying in my heart as I'm crying out to God is that, God, you're losing this fight. And he said, and I know this makes us very uncomfortable, he said, at that moment, the Holy Spirit began to, to speak into his life, and he says, I don't lose. And it was at that moment, foundationally for me, that I crystallized everything. Did you realize that if not one person ever decided to follow Jesus, that at the end, God still wins? That if not one of you decides to put your whole faith in Christ, he, his victory is secure. All of mankind's victory is summarized in him. He holds it all. If you want any victory in your life, you have to come to Jesus. There is no other victory. You see this picture here is that he's saying is that you're going to be scattered because you have problems. And those problems will put between you and God a distance. And the only right thing to do is run back to him. And there's this beautiful verse that comes next. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. You have trouble. He says, in this world you will have tribulation or you will have trouble, depending on the translation you're looking at this morning. The trouble we have. Point number four in your bulletin. But the next part of the verses that are read this morning, it's the overcomer that we need. Trouble we have, it's the overcomer that we need. He says here, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, we live in a world that is completely divided at every turn. They, they have manipulated you. When I say they, I mean the, the, the media. And in my opinion, man, unfortunately, the governing officials that we believe we can trust in and all these different things. And, and I, man, I don't mean to run anybody down here, but I'm telling you, we are being systematically divided on purpose. There are millions of people that are out on social media that are just out there to fact check you all the time. You don't know if you can trust anything. Everything from... from the deep fakes of people that we see on the internet. I, the first time I saw a deep fake, I was like, that is not real. But it looks real. Some of you are like, I've never heard of a deep fake. Don't dig too deep into it because it'll mess your head up. They can fabricate your voice. They can fabricate your face. They can make you with a few keystrokes on their computer and a little bit of captured imagery, captured audio. And you're like, we don't trust anything. We don't trust anyone. We don't trust the news. We don't trust the right or the left. We don't trust any of it. Why not? Because everything is criticized at every level. You know what we need? We need a moral right and a center of truth in the midst of this world. And his name is Jesus. And he stands in front of us and he tells us, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trouble. 
but you need me because I'm the only one that can overcome it. If you don't have Jesus at the center of your trouble, you're going to just continue to be in trouble. You don't see it. We need to see it. He's talking about their trouble. And this is the thing that makes me just hurt. Because he tells them, he says, you will have trouble. He knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. Then he's talking about their trouble. Make no mistake, Jesus knows about your trouble. Whatever it is today, we're going to open an invitation in a few minutes, and I'm going to give you just a simple option for you to understand. The first one is that if you don't have Jesus in the center of your life, today is the day. Wait no longer. You have the trouble. Have some of the overcomer in your life. But you also might be here today, and you might be struggling. You might have other things that are going on, and you have Jesus in your life, but you've got trouble. And what you need to do is lay that trouble down. Because he wants to give you peace in the midst of the storm. It has been an incre- incredibly you know, chaotic season. Proof that Jesus is always right, amen? I don't think it's going to get easier. But I know the one that can beat it. Do you? Stand with me today. We're going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to open up a simple time of invitation. And if you're in this place and you need to just take a moment to cry out to Jesus from where you are, that's great. But if you want to come to the front for the 19 plus years the Crossroads has existed, the front of the church is a place where people can come and give Jesus all of their trouble. You might want to give him some of your trouble this morning. I suggest you give it all to him. But you may, your biggest trouble may be that you haven't yet believed in him. And I ask you to come this morning and talk with me and I will guide you through how to believe in him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we look to the scriptures, we are reminded that there are troubles that are all around us that they were forecast, that we could see it. Lord, we have all of that that we want. What we don't have is enough of you. We're asking this morning that each and every one of us could give our burdens to you, our troubles to you, all of our stuff to you, that you might, in our midst, take over, overcome all of us, that we might be all for you in this world. I pray that you draw us back together, that you give us this peace that you've promised, and that we get to celebrate the victory that is you, that you overcome everything. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.